welcome in France, welcome to my home, please come in. Today I have a very special gift for you all. Baguette! <laughs> no, seriously, welcome. My name is Lance and my wife Tanya is behind the camera. We are in Montpellier in France and we have something that we would like to share with you about church planting. Uh, please will you come with us, I'd like to show you something. Come with me. <clears throat> So today what I would like to tell you, I would like to speak from my heart about church planting and I would like to tell you that church planting in a foreign country is like uh, onions. They make you cry. They will make you cry. No seriously, church planting is like onions but not that it makes you cry that it has layers. Let me explain what I mean. Okay, let me introduce myself again. My name is Lance, this is my wife Tanya. We are originally from South Africa, and five years ago, uh, this month, October 2015, we moved to Montpellier in the south of France to plant a church um, with our two children, Ethan, who is now 11, and Sophie, who is eight. Yes. <laughs> um, and so today we would like to share just our experiences with you about planting cross-culturally and particularly about bivocational ministry. Um, it's a great privilege for us to share this with you. Let me explain what I meant when I was saying that church planting is like onions. Yes, onions stink. And yes, onions can make you cry. But <laughs> onions also have layers. And for us, uh, we realized quite quickly that planting cross-culturally involves five uh, layers. The first layer being planting your family. The second one, literally planting your church. That's why you've gone there. The third one, planting in your community, your local community. The fourth one, planting in your nation. And let's not forget planting in the nations. So in church planters training, you will probably get lots and lots of training about planting your church and about planting in your nation and the nations. Um, but what you might not get is so much about planting in your community and planting in your fam planting your family in that community now Tanya and I really believe that all of these five things have to have to happen together in order for you to plant uh, successfully and particularly to plant cross-culturally successfully so today uh, we're going to be focusing just on these two areas uh, we're going to be focusing on planting in your community and then uh, planting as a family. Well, actually, we're going to start with Tanya planting in your family, uh, planting your family in your community, and then I'll take over and speak about planting in your community. So I'm going to hand over to her and she'll be with you for a few minutes. Okay, so I'm going to be focusing mainly on planting your family, and I'm going to be sharing a lot of my experience um, and using examples from my life. Um, but this isn't meant to be a 1 to 10 guideline on how to plant your family. It's just meant to be some wisdom um, and some help and encouragement to you. <laughs> and I'm sharing this today uh, because this was my primary role. I believe that um, it's both the husband and the wife's responsibility to plant the family as a whole. But as we know in life, everything, every team, everything needs a leader and every role needs leadership. And so this is the role that I took mainly in our church planting. Um, and what I'm going to share today is not rocket science at all. It's 
so simple and basic, yet in practice, it's probably one of the most difficult things to do is to plant your family well. So it is very important for me to share this with you today. But before I begin, I want to start with God's grace. I'm sure you've looked at people, some people have looked at me and said, goodness gracious, I don't know how you did that. And it's only by God's grace. God gives you grace for the things he's called you to do uh, and the specific things that he has for you. It's essential in the planting of your family and the planting of church. Um, all this training that you guys have been doing will fail you if you don't have the grace of God. And so the scripture that kept me going and that really helped me to plant our family was Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 to 23. And it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So God's steadfast love is what controlled me and compelled me. We read that in the scriptures. It sustained me. It gave me strength and, and helped me to settle our family and myself in this, new, in this new country where I was an absolute nobody. Uh, I planted our family with this love. Love covers over a multitude of sin. The Bible tells us that love, it, we must do everything with love. And so I always kept that in the back of my mind. I kept saying the scripture over and over. And then it says that each day God gives us new mercies. And that's because each day has its troubles of its own, like Jesus said. Um, and so we must receive and accept the mercy and the grace that God gives us and take each day at a time. And when we make mistakes, uh, we correct them and we move forward. And when we do things well, we learn from those things and carry on doing those things. And lastly, what the key to planting your family is to stay grateful. Let it flow from your mouth. Teach your children to do it. Let that be the conversation you have with your husband. Because when you're grateful, it keeps you in love. It keeps you in hum humility. And it really helps you to stay calm and focused. So firstly, when planting your family, you have to understand what your family is like. All families are different. But the key is that you understand the differences and the strengths and weaknesses and you work together as a body and everybody plays their role. So you have to take into consideration uh, four things and then I'll give, you th I'll give you those four things and I'll give you a quick testimony um, of those four things. So the first thing is you've got to take into consideration the age of your children. And then you look at your strengths and weaknesses as each member of the family. What are your needs as a family and what are your different what are your personalities like once you can take all these things into consideration then you'll be able to successfully plant your family now, remember i said it's not rocket science it's basic stuff stuff that you know but in practice that's where it becomes difficult so i'm going to give you some examples from our life okay so no matter what age your children are, they have a need and a level of dependency on you. Okay, so it's important for you to recognize that um, because that will help you know where, what apartment or house to choose, um, what kind of food you need to buy, what kind of things you can experiment or not experiment with, um, what, what are the special needs, your time, etc., etc. Okay. So our kids were six years old and three years old when we arrived in France. Ethan had just started grade one and Sophie had just started school here in France. Um, and so they were both still very dependent on me in many ways. 
And on top of all of that, they couldn't even speak a word of French. So they needed me and they needed that extra part of me that I'd never given them before. So because of all of this, I planted them by looking at their age and what how much they needed me and then looking at the culture the school how things work so for example the schools here you have to walk to the school that you drop that you take your children to even if you drive there there's no parking so that's something you take into consideration and um, the children come home from school for lunch and so I had to be there for them they can stay at the canteen but to let your children stay from the morning right to the afternoon half past four five in a new country with a language they don't speak we didn't feel that that would plant them well enough so because of this because of looking at these aspects Lance and I decided that we would make sacrifices to the lifestyle that we were used to and that I would stay home for at least a year to settle the kids and to settle our family so it was a sacrifice that we made and there was the grace of God with us. In my opinion, this is not the gospel truth, but in my opinion, I think that no matter what age your children are, they need you for at least a year to be solely focused on them in planting your family. Okay, uh, then I just want to talk about looking at the culture now with your, with your children and with yourselves. Um, so the kids were young and they needed uh, to sleep a lot. They needed 11 hours of sleep. And in South Africa, you put your children to bed early because you wake up early. So when we arrived to keep everything organized and not change stuff up too much and get, make sure our children slept well, I would put them to bed at half past seven in the evening, which was normal for a three and a six year old. But our neighbors, kids were playing outside at half past seven before dinner time. And our poor children were lying in bed hearing their the friends that they had made having so much fun and I realized that part of planting your family is changing your routine and changing the way you're used to doing things and so when we changed that it was a bit difficult to get them into a good routine um, but after that then we were able to have French people come visit have dinner at the right time our children weren't in the uh, weren't excluded from the culture and the way of doing things then there are other things in the in your family that you do that keep you strong um, but that go against the culture and you have to figure those things out but then those things you can are non-essential things that need to change so for example we in South Africa we have dinner as a family in France you're supposed to have lunch as a family that's the main meal but it wasn't possible for us um, so we continued keeping our family strong by making sure that we had a family dinner every night. That didn't change in our culture and it doesn't affect the way we integrate into the culture. And when we had to change that, it's, a, it's one of the things that's easily adjustable. Not rocket science, but makes a big difference in planting your family. Uh, and then the last thing about culture is adopting something in the culture that can enrich and strengthen your family and also help you to get into the community and want something very simple again not rocket science but our example was in France they do a tea time called goûte it happens every day at four o'clock and it's a time where your children have the sweet things chocolates cakes um, juices things like that and all the children in France do it everybody knows about it and so in the beginning we at 
adopted that culture into our family. It made us very French. It was that time to experiment things. We spent time together. We took 15 minutes in the day to do that, 15, 20 minutes depending. And then it was also a time, because it's so part of the culture, to invite the children's friends, to invite the parents, because they come and it's normal for them and becomes so normal for us. And it enables your children to fit in and for you to fit in. So those are just three simple examples. You have to learn the culture and see what needs to change. Don't be so set in your ways. Um, what doesn't need to change but can be adjusted and what you can completely accept um, as a culture in your family so that you can be comfortable and settled and spend time together but at the same time you're, you're seeking the kingdom, you're advancing the kingdom and you're becoming French or becoming whatever culture you're in without compromising. Uh, and then you've got to consider your strengths and weaknesses and personality. So quickly, um, our when we arrived here, I was the, f one, the only one in our family who was absolutely fluent in French. Lance had like a level one and the kids had zero. And so there was tremendous pressure on me to be the one to get stuff done and to make the connections and to plant the church because I could speak the most French. But we looked as a family at our strengths and weaknesses and we made decisions according to that. Because if, you're f if you can be strong in your family environment, all the other difficulties, all the other things about planting a church and being in a different culture that are new, you can focus on those and work on those without having to do it at home as well. So Lance is the one who's extroverted, makes connections, uh, super intelligent, gets stuff done. Um, but couldn't speak French. So we decided we would work on his strengths and he would go out and do all the administration and get a job and work. And I would stay home and work on my strength to stay home with the kids and to make a home, despite the fact that I could speak French and he couldn't, he learned. Um, and it really helped us to plant our family because we were working with our strengths and so it wasn't difficult. Um, and so I'm just going to quickly tell you what it is if you have the role of planting your family, what that um, uh, requires. It requires making a home. And so to make a home is to make a safe place where your children and you and your husband can come back and they can be safe, they can be at peace, they don't have to try and impress anybody, they can just be themselves. It's a calm, peaceful place to be who you really are and to um, relax and get rejuvenated and strengthened. It's about making yourself as the primary um, family planter, making yourself available to your husband and your children's needs. Um, and often those needs are making food, doing the washing, cleaning, running errands, fetching, doing this and that, the unglorified work that sometimes or often goes unnoticed. Just creating a space where your family can get strengthened and encouraged to go out into this difficult culture and learn and change. Not rocket science, but so important to consider when putting it into practice. I just want to make cl it clear that this has nothing to do with gender roles. 
um, but it's got to do more with God's grace and the calling that he has over your life, looking at your strengths and weaknesses and your family's needs. I know some families, both parents have to work um, and then as a family they have to consider are they going to pay someone to do the cleaning, how are they going to divide these things. Uh, yeah, you need to discuss those things as a family. I know sometimes the man has m will stay home more and the woman has more opportunity in the workplace. So you need to look at your family structure and work on those. Um, and then to finish, I just want to talk about sacrificing. As uh, when you plant your family, it requires great sacrifice. That's really what true love is. It's dying to yourself and you die to yourself and sacrifice the things that hinder the gospel and the advancing of the kingdom. Um, it's an unglorified job. It's a behind the scenes job. It can be a very lonely um, job to do. And it can also be intellectually unstimulating um, to do these things, but it is so rewarding. God loves to reward the things done in secret. Um, it's an act of love to your family. And it's so essential to the success of your family's um, growth in the culture but also to the success of the church if you can just be the strength in your family so whatever you do make sure that it's done in love that you're doing it by the grace of God and that you are advancing and seeking first the kingdom uh, thanks Tanya that was really great thanks for the encouragement about how to uh, plant our families so I'd just like to remind you what it is that we are busy talking about. So I said to you, church planting is like onions. Uh, it has layers. Um, sometimes it will make you cry. <laughs> uh, and we're speaking about, Tanya spoke about the layer of family. And then we have the church planting, which you're going to get lots of. And then the next layer is community. And then the nation. And then the nations. What I'd like to speak to you about now is planting in your community. Now, what would, make, what would make somebody leave their country, leave their friends, leave what they know, um, spend all their money and go to another country, plant a church, give up everything they know? Well, there's probably only one thing that can make you do that. That is a profound love for Jesus and a deep conviction about the truth of the gospel. You are convinced that people need to hear the message of Jesus and you want them to turn and surrender to him otherwise you wouldn't be doing this otherwise you wouldn't be listening to me speak now otherwise you wouldn't be even considering planting a church and if you're completely convinced about the power of the gospel and if you're completely convinced of the need to go to the world to tell people about our wonderful Jesus now the Bible tells us that there are two main ways um, to evangelize to tell people about Jesus the first one is in John chapter 1 verse 40 to 42 We'll read it together. This is now Jesus calling his first disciples. And he says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And then the story continues. Now, this first way where we tell people about Jesus is we, would, we can call it, Come and see. So there's this guy, he finds the Messiah and he says, come, come and see what I found. Now, most of us recognize this because in most of your churches, this is probably how you evangelize. 
you organize events, a men's breakfast, a special guest speaker, a ladies' conference, and you say, hey, come, come and see, come and, come and hear this message of Jesus. Come, come to where we are. It's good. It's a good way. There's nothing wrong with this way. Come, come and see. Come and see. We see it in the Bible and it bears fruit. But there's a second way. And the second way is the go and tell. You will know this from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says this. Matthew chapter 28. From verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, Go, go into all the nations. And this is the second way, the go and tell. So there's the one, come and see, and the other, there's go and tell. Now both of these have their fruits, both of these have their benefits. The go and tell is traditionally what we would call missionaries, where people go out and they share the gospel of Jesus with people they don't know. And that's what you are going to be doing. And what you're considering doing is to go and go and tell people about the message of, of Jesus. Now we can fall into this trap as church planters that when we leave our city, our home, our country, wherever it might be to go and plant a church, we think, okay, well, I, now I've done it. I'm going. I'm the missionary. I've done the work. I've gone, gone and I've planted a church. I've done the thing. And now it's other people's job to go and tell. I quickly realized when I was here that if people were going to hear about the gospel of Jesus, it wasn't just going to happen with me starting a Sunday meeting and asking people to come. Now, when I first arrived here, we ha I had to get a job because... Um, we had nobody in the church and so we had no source of income and so i literally had to go and get a job um, and in getting a job i was able to interact and communicate and, and meet with people but my my thought was that this was just going to be for a short time and that was going to serve the greater purpose of me planting a church now tim keller in his church planting manual says uh, if you want to plant a church uh, you need to be in your community in at least one of three ways. You either need to live in that community, you need to work in that community, or you need to play in that community. For us, we realized very quickly planting in a foreign country that actually, if we wanted to be serious about going and telling people about the gospel, we had to do all three. We had to live in the community, we had to work in the community and play in the community over a long extended period of time because we knew nothing about our community and our community knew nothing about us. So we live in the center of town. We don't live out in the countryside in a beautiful uh, old style French house. We do live in a beautiful place, but we're right in the center of town where students can access us easily. We are right where all the action happens. Our church uh, rents a hotel right in the middle of town. We, are, we live here, but also play here, been, uh, we socialize here, I've joined a sports club um, and uh, I've been a member of a sports club for years. But what I'd like to speak to you about particularly today is the, uh, the importance of bivocational ministry and actually having a job and potentially keeping that job over a long period of time. Now bivocational is almost a swear word in our language. We almost think that bivocational, two jobs, two callings, it's wrong because it means that two visions means division. How can you have a vision for a work and how can you have vision for the church? I'd like to break that down. Bivocational ministry is not for everybody. 
But I do want to tell you, particularly planting cross-culturally, that it's a powerful, important way for you to get into your community and to understand your community. This is not just for people whose churches are too small to pay their salary or just for people who aren't serious about church planting. No, actually, when you start a church for the first time, the only way that you are going to be able to go and tell people is if you're actually with that community. One of the guys here in France, Fred Delay, and planted in Paris, he said something very interesting to me. He said, we often say Jesus is the answer, but we don't know what question our community is asking. We have to know what questions our communities are asking before we can give them the answer that is Jesus. Now, how can you possibly do this? How can you possibly have a job full-time and lead a church full-time? Well, I can tell you, I don't have a full-time job now. I have a part-time job now. I teach uh, English at a local university. I was an English teacher in South Africa before I went into the ministry. If I can do it, a foolish, uh, simple sinner like me, if I can do it, honestly, you can do it. And I want to tell you uh, the three great strengths that we found of uh, bivocational ministry. The first one I want to tell you about is the benefits, is that it takes longer. It does take longer. The first one is that the bivocational ministry does take longer, but it lasts longer. Let me explain what I mean. When we first started our church, and you'll probably find this if you start a church, plant a church, is that you begin to attract people that are like you. What I mean is that when we started here, the first 10 members of our church were English-speaking or South African people, uh, people who were already Christians, people who were unhappy with their church or people who had just arrived and who were expats and were looking for something that sounded like them or acted like them. And there's nothing wrong with this. But the truth is, is this is often a transient community. There's often a group of people who are going to come and then who are going to go. Bivocational ministry, being in your community, understanding your community, meeting local people in your community, allows you to begin to create a church of people who are from that town or from that country, who love that town, and who are committed to staying in that town over a long period of time. A bivocational ministry takes longer to build your church because your attention is a little bit divided, but it lasts longer because you're building with people who are going to stay. You're not just building with expats. And, uh, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. We've got some expats uh, in our church. And the second thing I want to say is that bivocational ministry might take longer, but it goes deeper. I mentioned this a little bit earlier that in order to answer the questions of your community, you need to be in your community. And unfortunately, we cannot help the fact that we are shaped and formed by the place where we grew up. And so we think that we are preaching to a particular group of people, but maybe they don't think like us at all. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, we have a number of French people in our church who gave their life to the Lord. And obviously we say, repent and then be baptized. And I was preaching on baptism and there were guys in our church who'd been in our church, saved, loved God for two, three years, but who hadn't yet been baptized. And I was telling them, you must be baptized. You must be baptized. You must be baptized. And I couldn't figure out why they didn't want to be baptized. Until one day I read a book about uh, understanding and communicating with people of a different culture. And this book said that French people in particular, they ask why. Their whole education system, their whole culture is based around the question, why? 
in a predominantly English-speaking community, we don't need to know why. We just go and do it. What must I do? Not why must I do it. What must I do? The French people want to understand first why. Now, that's not right and it's not wrong and we can criticize and say what we want. But the truth is that's the way that they are educated. It's the way they think. It's the way the culture is. And I'm telling you right now, everything changed in our community when I understood that. When I understood that French people asked the question, why? Why is it that I need to do that? When I was able to answer that question, and I didn't just come from my South African perspective that says, well, this is what you must do, so just do it. That's how we think. There's nothing wrong with that. But not everybody responds to that. It was only once I had a profound understanding of my community that I could truly answer the questions that they were asking, that I could truly communicate with them. So bivocational ministry, yes, does take longer, but it will last longer, and your ministry will be able to go deeper. But there's a third thing. It makes people heavier. What do I mean it makes people heavier? Well, it makes people heavier because our job is for people to bear fruit. We want them to be heavy with fruit. And the thing is, as a pastor, is that there's a culture where you are the professional, and they go to you for everything. And the truth is that when you're bivocational, you can't answer everybody's questions. You can't answer everybody's call. You can't be available for everybody all the time because you just simply don't have the time. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to the weak I became weak so that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now, we've interpreted that as I do thing, all things for all people. But no, he's saying I be all things for all people. That doesn't mean you have to do everything for them. And the, the power of being bivocational is that you have to teach people to lean on the Holy Spirit, to lean on the Word, and to lean on each other, not just to always lean on you. So yes, bivocational ministry can be a challenge, but there are three incredible benefits. It takes longer to build, but it will last longer, it will go deeper, and your people will be heavier. Because you are equipping them for their ministry. You are teaching them to rely on God and produce their own fruit and help each other. Now I know there is a great challenge to bivocational ministry. And the one thing you need to be aware of is that you have to be very disciplined. You have to be very strict with your time. You have to be very organized. Because that's going to be a really big challenge um, on your time. But God can give you the grace. Tanya mentioned that you need to do all things by the grace. God can give you the grace. Church planting particularly cross-cultural church planting, is like onions. It has layers. You guys are heroes, and we trust with you that God will give you the grace on this journey that you are on. May God bless you. Thank you for your willingness to surrender to Him. For us from France, we wish you all the best. May God bless you. Go for it. God is with you. Thank you. Bisous. Au revoir.